Hi, I'm Dr. Gemma Newman, also known as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for The Wellness Edit with Holland and Barrett. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by journalist, broadcaster and TV presenter Mariella Frostrup and health journalist Alice Smelly. They both teamed up to write the book Cracking the Menopause While Keeping Yourself Together. And... What a passionate conversation we shared. I was really interested to understand more about the authors of this book and why they wrote it, because from my perspective as a GP, menopause hasn't been talked about enough over the years. And I've had many patients who have really struggled with symptoms that they didn't understand and they weren't quite sure where to turn. Luckily, it is a specialist interest of mine, so I was thrilled to be able to share a little bit of information on this podcast. But you must remember, of course, if you are suffering, it's important to go and speak to your own GP and talk about it with them. But this conversation will hopefully help you on that path because it was really educational and it will give you hopefully a few tips and a few pointers to be able to have a really productive discussion. So do share it with your friends if you found it informative and I can't wait for you to hear it. Hello, ladies. Hi there. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much for inviting us. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. I have to say, I've been really enjoying reading your book, and I think it's much needed. Speaking as a GP, I see loads and loads of women who come to me with a variety of symptoms, and oftentimes they haven't necessarily even put two and two together and realised that that their symptoms were potentially due to perimenopause or menopause issues. So this is a conversation that definitely needs to be had from my perspective. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about your perspective and why you both decided to write this book. And I guess I should probably, I'll start off by asking that to Mariella and then perhaps we can get both of your inputs from there. Well, I'm sure we, we can talk about it later on, but I just think quite interesting what you said about women not recognising their symptoms. It's very hard to recognise your symptoms when you've never been told anything about the subject or the possible symptoms. I think we're all brought up with the word hot flush somewhere wafting around our heads and that's going to be the sign that, that we're, we should basically go into retirement and lock ourselves in a room and, <laughs> and keep away from, you know, civilised society. Um, but, but, but aside from that, you know, and I mean, I know a lot of women suffer really badly from from hot flushes and that and that's a particular issue but lots of women don't and and I think I'm not alone in in being someone who really had no indication when it came to hot flushes I I spent a couple of years in my late 40s just suffused with irrepressible anxiety based on absolutely nothing in particular there was nothing serious going on in my life that that I needed to be stressed about um, and I was also completely insomniac. I mean, the two sort of go hand in hand in a way because I'd, I'd wake up bolt upright at three o'clock in the morning for no reason I could think of. And then the anxiety would kick in almost the minute my eyes were open and I would start getting like palpitations and, and worrying about everything from, you know, whether I'd, you know, fed the dogs to whether I'd ordered food for the weekend to whether there was going to be world peace in my lifetime. You know, I mean, there was just no, (laughs) there was no rhyme or reason to the thoughts that were cascading. Um, And I really had no idea at all. And, And that's, you know, my ignorance, definitely. But I think that it's also a sort of societal wide ignorance about this midlife 
point in women's lives. And I really, you know, there, I try really hard to come up with, you know, positive and plausible reasons for why this should be such a black hole in terms of our education. But the one that I keep coming back to over and over again is just that because it only happens to women, nobody really cared. And, you know, it's been misdiagnosed for centuries by the only sex that won't experience it. <laughs> and, yeah. and so we end up here now in the 21st century. And I think we really do know more about male balding than we do about the menopause. And the menopause will affect 50% of the population, just over 50% of the population. And yet most women will end up like me coming to this point in their lives, starting to feel really not so great one way or another, physically and mentally, with no understanding of why that is. And many, many women, I think, feel ashamed and embarrassed and confused. And all of it happens at a time when society is also messaging you that you're no longer of particular value. And so it, it, it's just like a sort of triple whammy of, of rejection and confusion and embarrassment that stops women speaking out and I think is partly to do with the fact that we've got to this point where where we don't know enough about it. So in that was a very long answer uh, to your question, which was basically, I had these symptoms. I didn't understand what they were. The minute I did understand what they were by going to a very helpful gynecologist, Sarah Matthews, then everything suddenly made sense. But what didn't make sense was why I'd been in that position in the first place, why I should have reached, you know, the age of 49 without knowing how this would affect me and what I could do to make myself feel better. And, and that's very much where it started for me in terms of, um, you know, Alice was part of a little running group that we have, a sort of school mums running group. And, and I would bore on relentlessly about the topic. And as a health journalist, I think it, your ears pricked up, didn't they? Mm, no, enormously. And also as a health journalist, we weren't actually allowed to write about menopause for probably the 20 years when I was actually sort of doing that kind of feature. It just wasn't mentioned in newspapers at all. It wasn't interesting. And that's something that we've had time and time again, you know, I mean, I've got friends who used to work for all of those, you know, glamorous magazines. And the word menopause was not to be spoken. It was literally not to feature in the pages. I know that one of those magazines in particular, the female editor said she didn't want to hear the word in the office. Wow. You know, and this, this was a woman actually pretty much around the same age as me. Mm. But, you know, so horrific was the concept of menopause. So what an affront <laughs> this is so interesting. And I, I do kind of get where this is coming from because it's almost like this unspoken rule that there's, there is shame attached to it somehow. Or, or it seemed to be, you mentioned the word embarrassing. Why, why is it that from the sounds of it, women and men have attached these emotions to the end of fertile life? Well, one of my favorite chapters is the one that deals with the mythology of the menopause. And, and if you look at, you know, the way it's been painted, 
over centuries, then I think you understand why no one in their right mind would be admitting to experiencing it. The fact that it renders you dried up, useless, probably a witch. You probably need your poisoned blood extracted from your body because what's wrong with you and the reason you're feeling bad and the reason that you're not yourself is because you're brimful of poisonous bile, you know, which, <laughs> you know, is why leeches were applied to the vagina in order to save you from your the filth within and 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 also i think a very deeply insidious notion that's very very hard to shift which is that women's usefulness in this, in this world on this planet is to reproduce and the minute you are no longer useful in terms of reproduction then you really are finished and and that's why one of the most cheering things really that we came across in the course of the the research for the book was that was the grandmother hypothesis you know because as a species it's only us and 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 four kinds of whale that experience menopause you know scientists have looked at it and using the concept or the principles of darwinian theory which you know we you'd think pretty firmly entrenched the only reason that we and these four types of of whale all of whom are matriarchal pods is because our usefulness post our reproductive life is deemed by selection to be as important as imperative to our survival as a species as we are when we're giving birth and yet that is one of the things one of the aspects of menopause that's never been really embraced or examined mm. in any great detail may i say that that is one of my absolute favorite parts of the book <laughs> it was honestly a revelation to me that it is only a specific subgroup of whales and humans that experience a menopause to me that actually completely reframes the entire conversation around menopause and it allows us to understand that to actually achieve a menopause is potentially fundamental to human survival. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, Alice d- delved into it deeper because that's what Alice likes to do. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, exactly that. So basically, so the grandmothers who are looking after the, their grandchildren allowed the, the daughters to have more children and also for them to, to go and be useful in sort of fields and foraging. And the, ch- and the grandchildren inherited the longevity genes and that's why we continued to sort of live longer and longer is also the reason why women have such a long lifespan and, and the yeah. menopause. And, and, and if you think about, you know, how with the whales, obviously times of scarcity when there wasn't enough food and things, it would be the grandmothers, mm. the leaders of the pods who would take them to find new hunting grounds and make sure that the pod were fed and so on. Mm. And if you think about women's roles in life, that's very much, again, the sort of duties that have fallen on our shoulders. And, and, you know, imagine a world where every woman disappeared completely at 50. You know, first of all, it would be an enormous, you know, catastrophic blow to the economy because women between 50 and 65 are one of the greatest contributors to our economy. And that's a proven fact fiscally. Mm. But also think of all the other things. Think of the the babysitting and the propping up of uh, parents and Mm. the caring and the, you know, the world would grind to a halt. So, you know, it's just one of the many compelling reasons that we should be celebrating rather than fearing it and being embarrassed by it. You know, and and just going back to the shame thing, 
There are so many things that women are brought up to feel ashamed about, you know, our physiognomy, you know, the way we entice men who can't resist and therefore mm. behave extremely badly. That's all mm. our fault as well. You know, when you think of going more serious, you know, victims of sexual abuse and of harmful sexual behavior, you know, it, it's still perceived if you see a woman going to court, it's still perceived mm. that the woman has in some way contributed to the fate that has befallen her. And I think that, again, is also so deeply entrenched in, in our society. It is, it is. And although it's not directly relevant to menopause, it's relevant to the female experience and and how that colours our own perceptions, not only of ourselves, but also our daughters and you know, the people that will come after us. And that's another reason why I really enjoyed this book, because I felt as though it was something that a mother would perhaps like to pass on to a daughter, you know, something that you could actually have as that wisdom, those experiences that are not generally talked about that actually every girl needs. Like well, like when you start your periods and your mum is there to guide you through that dramatic life change. I feel like this book is like the menopause's version of, of starting your periods. <laughs> I spoke to the woman last week who is doing the menopause workshops at Harrow who's educating young men about the menopause. And I read the reader comments in a couple of newspaper sections and one woman said, why should these poor kids learn how disgusting and yucky women are? And I thought that's exactly why they need to learn about menopause yeah. because we're not yucky. But, but, but there you go, back to the shame thing. You know what I'd love mm. to know, because you're a GP, how long did you have to study menopause for? Well, if I'm honest with you, it was one of the most tricky and challenging aspects of my GP training. So I didn't really learn a great deal about it during medical school. I didn't learn about it during my junior doctor jobs. I didn't learn about it particularly even during my obstetrics and gynaecology jobs, believe it or not. It was actually mostly when I had to really figure out how to help women in the community when I was doing my GP training and all the different confusing types of HRT and whether to prescribe it or whether not to that was when I actually got most of my sort of information. But isn't that amazing that there you are, a GP, this is a liminal condition that will affect 51% of the species and yet it's not even considered important enough to include in medical training. You know, I, know. I mean, it's just completely dumbfounding, I think, still. I'm still shocked by it, you mm, know, having mm. spent the, the year writing the book and the year promoting it, and the, I'm mm. still absolutely apoplectic about the injustice of that. I think increasingly so, the more that we talk to people about it, in fact, and, and the more it sort of gains momentum, the fact that giving the right advice is actually prophylactic and it's, it would save the NHS billions and it would save women a great deal of pain and agony in later life if we were told about our options before menopause so that when, once we got to perimenopause, we could make our own decisions about HRT and lifestyle and supplements yeah. and all the things and exercise for bone density and muscle mass. And we're not given the information. I mean, one of the things that I would really like to see, you know, is you get an invitation, don't you, in your 40s to go and have a sort of general checkup. And I can't believe that that doesn't include for women a checkup of 
menopausal symptoms, uh, what they might be feeling, and education on what they may come to feel if they're not experiencing any of the symptoms yet, you know, when perimenopause might start. You know, I mean, one of the things, again, both of us mm. totally shocked and awed by was the discovery that it could start 10 years before your actual mm. menopause, which, as we now know, of course, just means the last day you ever have a period, which none of us I know, know mm. because mm. we don't know that it's going to be a year later. You know, I mean, the whole- no, I, this is the thing. There's no, like, when you start your periods, it's like a very landmark moment mm. because you see that that's there and you feel that that's there. But when you are menopausal, yeah, you, as you say, you don't know when your last period ever mm. is going to be. Mm. Um, there should be a little ceremony for it if, if, if someone would just give me the nod and the wink, you know. <laughs> Farewell, but, I mean, bittersweet I think, goodbye. I know, bittersweet goodbye. I think this is it. I think that there should be. It's like a rite of passage. I do believe that women should have a midlife rite of passage, which allows them to feel freed, allows them to feel more confident, allows them to actually embrace some of the physical challenges because they understand where they come from and why they happen and then move forwards with a feeling of purpose and a sense of understanding. Um, And I mean, that could very easily start with your appointment with your GP that you get an invitation for at the age of, say, 43, 44 Mm. maximum. And you go along and you have a conversation with someone who has been trained to recognize the, you know, up to 38, 39 symptoms that you might experience and tells you, you know, all of the options that are open to you in order to kind of surf through that Mm. period and come out the other side feeling, as I defy any woman not to, liberated by the the fact that, that you're no longer tied to the reproductive process, that you're no longer going to have those awful monthly kind of downs and period Mm. pains and things and that you're actually 100% more confident and mouthy, gobby. And ambitious. And ambitious and driven. And also it's horrendous that lots of women and our lovely friends as well have said to us that they've read the book and they've they've made their own decision about HRT and they felt educated. The fact that Mariella and I are educating people. Yeah, it's really worrying. It's it's wrong. (laughs) It's really worrying. And, you know, we say every time we do an interview, you know, especially when they're sort of live at a book festival or something, I say, look, don't ask me medical questions because I am not medically mm. trained. Mm. You know, Mm. what we've tried to do with the book is cover every single thing that, that you might worry about and give you as full an explanation as we can possibly give based on the fact that we are just you know no I think Mariella and Alice I think you both actually do yourselves a slight injustice there because when writing the book you did do a lot of research especially I'm assuming Alice yes, did and I can Alice. see yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can see that there's actually quite a lot of scientific information there's a lot of information here about some of the studies that I had read about myself when I was doing my training and so actually you probably would be in a relatively good position at least to advise people to look at the book educate themselves mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they go and see their GP, it's a much easier conversation because they haven't necessarily had any of the um, the setbacks of not understanding what's going on or not having to take the time to sort of let it all sink in uh, because to they give already women know. The confidence, because I think that one of the real mm. issues is that you know, of course, in anything in life, when you're unaware of it, when you're ignorant about it, it's very hard to have the confidence to demand what you need or to demand the help you need. And you know, so many women still are fobbed off with antidepressants. Oh, you're feeling a bit moody. Are you love here? Take a bit of Prozac, mm. and that will mm. sort you 
about. And, and there's all these women going around in midlife on antidepressants, costing the NHS a fortune completely unnecessarily, you know, and, and, and that in itself is a bit crime against humanity, yeah. quite frankly, you know. And yet a couple of women have said they came off antidepressants, demanded HRT. And one particular woman said that she felt that she'd been walking around in a haze for years. And she's quite angry that what she actually needed was the HRT. Mm. And no one had told her and her GP hadn't told her. And obviously you're a brilliant GP, but some are but that's the thing. I mean, the- I, you know, I did an event, uh, but an online event with the... Uh, Royal Society of Medicine the other day. And I mean, I had doctors coming through on my feed saying, this is so interesting. I hadn't realized. And at that point, you just think, oh, my God. God, teaching the Royal Society. Yeah. Of I mean, give me an honorary medical degree. You know, I mean, this—it's insane. <laughs> Doctor, Fr- well, yeah, Doctor Frostrup's got a ring to it. I was going to say, Doctor Frostrup. I'm glad that you're educating the doctors. No, it's—I know it's tongue in cheek, but I think you're right. I think there is a lack of education in all levels, mm. and you know, it's—I'd say I, I'm pretty well versed myself, but I think it's only because I actually have a special interest in women's health so mm. I trained as a GP I did extra training in women's health and so for me it was part of that but not everybody's going to have those special interests clearly mm. um, I'd argue that if you were born male you probably less invested in, in yes, understanding it. it should be a special interest because as a doctor you're meant to be trained to help all human beings not just the ones of your own sex you know, and know. that's what's so frustrating mm. about it is, mm. you know, this isn't just like a, a niche interest minority group. This is 50% of the population who are not being served properly. So if you had a message, sorry, do you wanted to say something, Alice? Let's no, no, give no, you a no, chance I just, to say. I was just going to say, do you learn about, about the male anatomy? Do you learn about prostates and and things like that and things that might go wrong with men in later life? Is that part of the training? So again, not to denigrate my medical degree, <laughs> I, um, I, I did learn the, the rudimentary basics. So obviously we learned anatomy of male and female in the first and second year of medical school. And I happened to do a three-month urology job personally, which means that I know a lot more about male issues than most GPs actually probably would. Gosh. So I'm not going to um, suggest that I know more about <laughs> about men than women but I get the point that actually you know something like menopause is although it's a natural physiological process there are certain parts of it that feel very unnatural especially when you feel as though you're not yourself and I think that that's that's one of the main messages that I'm really glad to be able to share with people today is that you know although it's one of the most natural things in the world actually there are ways in which you can make this a whole lot better and a whole lot easier for yourself. Yeah, and and you're not going crazy. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And it's it'll pass too, but probably, you know, not soon enough for you not to get some support while you're going through it, you know, and you know, for an awful lot of women, uh thankfully, now that that wretched report has been disproved, mm. you know, for an awful lot of women it will be HRT, but for women who can't take HRT, there are all kinds of supplements that will really smooth your passage through and there is absolutely no reason mm. why they shouldn't be informed about them and know about that and be able to seek out the and help prescribe they need. them actually. And, yeah, and they should be prescribed because it shouldn't, the other thing, I mean, thank God for 
Callan Harris because, you know, it shouldn't be a lottery either in terms of, you know, how much money you've got. Mm. Why should, uh, you know, better off women be able to afford to go and get their prescriptions and, and, and women who are less well off have to suffer? In, I mean, it's just that's in, inhuman and it's not the basis of what the NHS is about either. No, it's not. And we've talked about some of the injustices and we've talked about some of the education that's needed. I'd love to get your perspective for our listeners about what you think that they need to know from the book that perhaps surprised you the most when you were researching it. Well, I think one of the things that surprised us was actually our lack of knowledge about the female anatomy, because we didn't know about the vulva and the vagina. And we what? Didn't, we didn't. No, it's really <laughs> embarrassing. Well, as I, I did the vagina monologues, uh, you know, <laughs> and, that was and I, I monologued with two actresses on stage Maria, for six weeks, and I still didn't know about the difference between the vulva and the it vagina. It was awful. It was awful because Mariella kept on saying that she didn't know the difference, and I kept taking it out because I was like, "Hello, yes, we do." And then I looked it up. I looked at diagrams. I was like, "Oh my god, I don't either." But again, as a journalist, having never written about the female anatomy because you're not allowed to or we ha- we hadn't been historically now you can't open a newspaper without seeing the word menopause which is great so um that's not really something to learn i suppose no know where everything is is quite useful <laughs> yeah, know where everything is is very very useful indeed and take a look you know get a mirror okay. out have a little look it's always good to understand what's going on um but i think also Really importantly, it's the myriad of symptoms and the fact that menopause actually just refers to the day a year after your last period. And it's really not a helpful term when it comes to, you know, working out how best to progress through the perimenopause, which is the important bit, quite honestly. Mm. And so I think the myriad of symptoms, too long to list here, really important to kind of acquaint yourself with. And I actually think first and foremost, I wonder if I'm perimenopausal before you think, oh, I'm depressed. Mm. Oh, mm. I'm achy for reasons I don't know. Or, oh, I'm bad tempered. Or, oh, I can't cope with life anymore. You know, oh, my children are exhausting me. You know, think about what might be contributing to those feelings. And, you know, I think that's just the most imperative thing of all is like, stop judging yourself badly, you know, stop judging yourself and coming up with the theory that you're not good enough. You know, actually, what's happening is something that every woman will go through. You're having a catastrophic drop in hormone levels. And really, one of the best ways to deal with that is to top them up. You know, it kind of makes sense. If you had a catastrophic drop in liquid in your body, you would top it up by drinking some water. And I think it's really, really important that we stop demonizing the whole idea about hormone replacement and stop battling it out about whether it's bio or body identical or, you know, none of those things matter. It's all body identical, frankly. But just to kind of understand that this is what you might be going through and also understand that the topping up of your hormones isn't just about getting rid of immediate symptoms, you know, like the insomnia and the anxiety, but it's also about really important things like your bone density. I mean, I had no idea that the drop in estrogen would impact on my bone density and I could actually end up osteopedic as a result of not dealing with it. And I don't think many women know that. No, I think you're right. And I think also one of the things it's quite interesting to know is that some women do sort of sail through in terms of avoiding hot flushes and eating healthy, eating maybe plant-based or exercising a lot or, you know, not experiencing insomnia or depression. And then a few years down the line, they find out that they have osteoporosis. So what are your thoughts on 
saying that some people may not be suitable for HRT, but are there women who've approached you and said, well, why should we medicalise something natural? Why should we need HRT when this is what's supposed to happen? Well, I think that the fact of the matter is we used to die a lot younger. So yes, uh, this is meant to happen, but women used to die much, much younger and not live so long through it. And also, you know, would endure the symptoms and grit their teeth because we were put on this planet to suffer. Well, the fact of the matter is most women now are leading healthy, productive lives and want to get on with their lives and want to enjoy the four or more decades they may have after menopause. I mean, most of us are now living as long after menopause as leading up to menopause. And it's incredibly important that we are able to do that as fit and as healthy as we can possibly be. And so I think, you know, first of all, Yes, there are women who can't take HRT, but actually there's an awful lot of mythology about who those women are as well. You know, it doesn't immediately, because you've got breast cancer in your family, it doesn't immediately mean you can't take HRT. It absolutely means that you need to be monitored properly, but it doesn't mean that you can't take it. Mm -hmm. And I think too many women are told that they can't. You know, you don't have to go off it five years later or six years later. The frustrating thing is that there is no fulsome knowledge out there, that it's all speculative. And so a woman goes to see her GP or her gynecologist, and they're speculating still, despite the fact that we've Mm. been on this planet for millennia. And in spite of the fact the British Menopause Society says that you can take HRT, you can start it at any time, and you can take it for as long as you want. And in fact, someone contacted me yesterday and said her GP had told her to stop taking it age 59 and she was really upset and really worried. Yeah, and I know lots of women that that's happened to mm. and have then gone through a sort of delayed menopause and have struggled really, really badly, particularly with mental health, but also with all the symptoms that have just been delayed. And so you have a catastrophic loss of hormones at the age of 58 or 62 instead. And it's just so wrong that this is still happening, you know, that ignorance is leading to women not being given, as I say, the support that they need. You know, yes, All of us should be free to make our own choices. It's the most important thing. And I think for way too long, you know, women have felt that that some choices weren't theirs to make. This is one that really is for each and every one of us to make our own call on. But do so for heaven's sakes with all the information at your fingertips and make sure you get to see someone who has taken the trouble like you have to know about menopause. You know, don't go, don't settle for some doctor who goes, I mean, the amount of times I've heard people told, oh, yeah, I don't really rate HRT. Mm. Or I don't I, believe in it. Or I don't believe in it. I don't, give a, I don't give a damn whether the doctor believes in it or not. It's my basic human right to have it if I want it. I love the passion. And I have to say, I'm sure that our listeners will also love the passion. And you're right, it has to come down to that personal choice, especially when people can be experiencing pretty horrific symptoms with this. So that being said, it is also a conversation that's important to have with your GP because there will be pros and cons as with any particular intervention. Clearly, you're a big fan. Um, It's really helped you. Have you got any advice for listeners if they're thinking, well, actually, you know, I might like to to learn more about HRT? You mentioned the British Menopause Society. Would that be a good place for people to start if they want to research this other than, of course, getting hold of your fantastic book? 
They are absolutely brilliant and they've got loads of resources on their website. And I have to admit, even though it's a direct competitor, Dr. Dr. Louise Louise Newsom Newsom, is absolutely incredible. Her balance app. And I think she's interactive as well. I mean, I think she does Mm. live menopause clinics online. I mean, I know there are more menopause clinics now in the UK. I think there might be 15 even, you know, to serve a population of what? You know, but I mean, it it is also worth checking to see if there is a menopause clinic near you because you'll also get information there. But, you know, just look it up and read about it Mm. and and make your own opinion. And I think expert advice, you know, just insist. You know, Mm. if you go to a doctor who can't look you Mm. straight in the eye and say, I do know about menopause, I have studied it, then just say, look, I'm sure you have a colleague who has, though, Mm. or maybe you could you know, find me a colleague who has. And I think that's particularly important when you mention privilege because I've seen patients, you know, in my clinical practice over the years who haven't had the same access to private clinics and who really did need this information the most. And I've had black patients who've been going through perimenopause on average. It's my understanding that they go through, potentially go through it earlier than than Caucasian women. And this is another thing. We We talked to Dr. Nigat Arif who is the, I think she's the TV doctor now, isn't she? But she said exactly that. And she had seen the patients who came off um, HRT 10 years ago, the black and Asian and Indian women who came off HRT and were suffering the catastrophic sort of results of this with osteoporosis and heart problems a decade later. But who's the doctor as well? Karen Arthur. Karen Arthur, yeah. Oh, yes. Who's absolutely brilliant as well. And, you know, what the problem is that the social injustice comes into it totally, Mm. you know. And again, it's about that confidence. If you don't have the confidence to go into your doctor and demand what you need or even understanding of your symptoms or indeed you live in a society where it, it really is very, very difficult to bring those Mm. matters up it just all compounds the struggle that women are having with this I agree and I think one of the things that I found interesting in my own research was that women in Japan would describe shoulder stiffness as one of the symptoms that they would experience around menopause uh, which is obviously quite different from you know what we've been discussing previously and I think I remember reading somewhere in your book about the Asian women that, that you spoke to or, or one of the women whose amazing case studies you included, I don't remember now, but th- there was a lot of um, all over body pain and things like that were more prevalent. Is that correct? The weird thing was different cultures experience menopause in different ways. But the unifying thing was a, a few large studies looked at attitudes towards menopause and the more positively that it was viewed, the less awful your experience, which isn't to say it's all in your mind, but is to say that a positive attitude and knowledge and the idea that you're going to some great wise part of your life in a happy old age makes a huge difference to, as Marielle has been saying, the kind of toxic idea that you just shrivel up and wither somewhere. And and interestingly, you know, when I did the programme, The Truth About the Menopause for the BBC, one of the things that that, that they did, because it was done from a very sort of scientific point of view, and one of the things they did was this CBT trial where they took a group of women and put them through cognitive behavioural therapy processes for about, I think it was six or eight weeks. Maybe it might have been, it might have even been... Four weeks. Was it four weeks? And I was really reluctant for them to do this. You know, I was furious because I just felt that it 
it was just more insinuation that it's all in your mind, love. And, you know, if you can just control your mind, then you won't feel any menopause symptoms and, you know, calm down, dear. And I just felt it, it, you know, in a way, it just perpetuated those myths. But actually, these women found it incredibly helpful with a lot of the symptoms. And so, you know, for women who don't want to or can't take HRT, but do need support in in certain areas, particularly in the arena of, I think, I would say, mental health issues or hot flushes. CBT was amazing for the women suffering hot flushes. I can't remember the actual percentage of decrease, but it was really, really incredibly striking. And actually, for me, even... I think some of the things that it recommends, you know, to do with breathing and and counting your breathing and things have been incredibly helpful when it comes to insomnia and anxiety. Because if you just stop and you do counted breathing, you know, and you breathe in for five and you breathe out for five and you breathe in for five and you breathe out for five, it's like a mantra and it takes your brain away from all of the stuff that it's kind of gorging on, all of the unnecessary stuff, and takes you to a quieter, calmer place. So the, there are all kinds of other things that you can do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the stuff starting point has to be understand what menopause is, understand what it can potentially do to you and understand what you can potentially do to help support yourself through it. I'm really enjoying these tips. Sorry, what were you saying, Alice? I was going to actually do a kind of book plug. Oh, uh, no, on. we did include in the book, we include a couple of meditations and breathing exercises. And just to be incredibly generous, there's some really, there is an amazing CBT um, link on women's health, the kind of... Oh, oh the British, the commercial bit of the British Menopause Menopause Societies. I think it has got, has got some meditations and things on it but as well. there's a great CBT bit that you can read through and you can, you can kind of do your own talking therapy from that. This is really, really useful. This is really great. So I think for our listeners who may be feeling a bit unsure, a bit worried about what they might face when they go through menopause. It's not all bad. It's not all bad. And in fact, you've sort of outlined, yes, HRT is something that's poorly understood and we need to be educated more on. But as well as that, other things like breathing exercises, like mindfulness, like meditation, like cognitive behavioural therapy, like supplementation, like exercise, would you say as well? And from my reading as well, minimally processed soy products are also potentially quite useful for combating some of the menopausal symptoms. And oily fish. Mediterranean Mediterranean diet. Plant-rich, Mediterranean, less alcohol. Sadly. Sadly. Yes. Always. (laughs) At the time that you need it most, it's worse for you to drink it. It's just wrong, really, isn't it? We did a whole section about what not to drink. But about what not to drink, yeah. It's basically, we just said just drink basically vodka. All alcohol. No. <laughs> um, but but also on the on the on the subject of, of, of supplements, you know, all kinds of things happen. You know, like your hair gets thinner, your nails get more brittle, or can do, and those are all things that supplements are incredibly helpful mm. with. You know, um, so I don't think they should be dismissed at all. You know, it's not sort of mamby pamby. Oh no, they make a massive mm. difference. So vitamin D three, which we should all be taking anyway. But you take magnesium. My my bedside drawer is basically a kind of orgy of magnesium, magnesium spray, <laughs> magnesium pills, you know, and then and then in there also the silicone earplugs, oh, yeah. the eye mask. You've got a whole sleep capsule going on. There's so much stuff that that um that I like to have at arm's length just in case. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about your wellness non-negotiables, but I think you've answered that question quite nicely. <laughs> what about you, Alice? <laughs> Wellness non-negotiables. Actually, vitamin D3 in the winter, 
because I started taking that about five years ago and it made the difference between feeling low in January and February because we can't store it for that long mm. and you and you get very depleted in those months. So I now give it to my kids as well, which is not a menopause tip, it's just like general. And useful. I also would throw in there um, exercise mm. in the open air and preferably with a friend or friends mm. or someone who you just share the same exercise routine with, you know, because I just think some of the most important things are not to feel alone, to share what you're experiencing and to make sure you're as strong and fit and taking in as much oxygen as you possibly can. And whether that's going for a bracing 20 minute mm. walk, you know, a day or going for a run or, you know, just, you know, I don't know, picking up a, a log and putting it down five times. You know, you, you just need to get out there and, and yeah. do stuff and preferably with like-minded friends, male or female. That's a lovely tip. And I think these are the simple things actually that anybody can do to feel happier and healthier. And it doesn't have to cost the earth. Just going outside to a park, you know, just meeting a friend for a cup of tea and then deciding that you might, you know, combine the two with a little walk around. Instead of like taking the tube, you know, a friend of mine said to me the other day that he'd started walking to work every day now and that's his new thing. And it's just a little tweak in his daily routine that's made all the difference. Yeah, I think it's those kinds of things that we don't think about as much. And as you said, you know, a lot of the time women will prioritise everything other than themselves. And when you're going through menopause, you're probably the the last priority. On the whole, that's what I've noticed. And I I should imagine that that's probably the case for many women. And to be able to prioritise things that you can do to feel better in your daily routine that don't cost anything, but just give you that mental space will help you to cope with those hormone fluctuations far better than Mm. you would have done otherwise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank God you put it so succinctly because neither of us are capable. brilliant we're in awe (laughs) (laughs) well we're gonna have to wrap things up ladies this is why i'm thinking (laughs) we've had such a lovely time (laughs) 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 oh no but you know it's actually been very refreshing and lovely to have a guest so passionate so excited so knowledgeable that you just want to share with the 51% of the population that will go through this, that there are options, that they don't need to lose hope, that they are not alone and that they can seek help. So it's been a real privilege. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's been really, yeah, really enjoyable you. talking to you. We've really uh, we've had yeah, a great thank time. You thank so you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, yeah, if people want to check out your book, I know we've talked about it a lot, but I'm going to sum up by saying again, it's Cracking the Menopause While Keeping Yourself Together by Mariella Frostrop and Alice Smelly. Do check it out. I know that you're not going to be disappointed. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for joining me today for that really interesting conversation. Wow, I think that that was so passionate. I don't know about you, but I could certainly feel Mariella's enthusiasm throughout that interview. And it was great also to speak to Alice, who has such a lot of education to share. And I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Remember to share with loved ones if you think they would benefit from this information. Maybe your mum, maybe your daughter, or maybe even a family friend who may be suffering uh, like so many women have done. So yeah feel free to share it leave us a review on apple Podcasts if you feel like doing so it really helps 
to get the word out there to people. And remember, you can find all previous episodes of The Wellness Edit on your favourite podcast platform and also via the Holland and Barrett website at hollandandbarrett.com. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you next time when we'll be talking to another great guest about how to fit wellness into your day. Bye for now. All views are those of our guests and not Holland and Barrett, unless explicitly stated otherwise. Any reference to brands and or products should not be considered as an endorsement.